Hello and welcome to Deltec Markets Monday for the 27th of June 2016. Good morning those in the Americas, good afternoon those in Europe, good afternoon those in the UK and good evening to those in Asia. Uh, today we'll be covering our usual agenda, firstly looking at investment market movements over the past week and, and the news flow obviously centred around Brexit. Secondly, we'll touch on what the outlook is uh, for this week from an economic data perspective. Thirdly, we'll touch on our investment idea for this week, which is a research redux piece entitled The Big Long, looking at our bullish view on the US dollar, heightened uh, by the increased safe haven status that the US dollar has now has. And finally, we'll touch on our current investment positioning. So in, in terms of looking at Brexit to start things off, we sent a number of comments out uh, via our Delta representatives to clients and our contacts on Friday very early on Friday morning. Uh, the key for us is really looking at financial stability. And if financial stability can be maintained in the face uh, of what is clearly a, a historic move, then there is hope that global economic growth can continue its, its expansion. We're still mid-cycle X of this event. And if we do see financial stability maintained, global economic uh, growth can resume. If we look at the euro area specifically, clearly there's going to be a, a significant downgrade to growth, a more significant downgrade to growth for the UK. But financial stability is the whole key from here. And from what we've seen uh, over the past few weeks, even in the lead up to uh, the vote last week, we did see uh, a number of uh, central banks, including the FOMC, the Bank of England and the ECB, uh, provide the assurance that there would be financial stability maintained, there would be sufficient liquidity going to the banking system uh, even the event of uh, prior to knowing the, the outcome of the vote. Since then, we've seen a number of central bank finance ministers, we've seen a number of central banks come out and reiterate those comments. Uh, we've, we've taken note of all those comments and are happy to circulate them to any clients or contacts who are interested. Beyond the, uh, the implications for financial stability, and we'll be digging into the details some more, uh, what really uh, concerns us about this beyond the politics and the mechanics of what's going to happen from here has been very, very well reported by the media uh, and as such we can leave it to people to, to read those media comments in terms of the mechanics from here. But our broader comment is that not since the Smoot-Hawley Act, uh, which was enacted during the Great Depression, have we seen such a move uh, towards protectionism and away from globalisation. What it did in the Great Depression, the Smoot-Hawley Act, is it elongated it by several years. What it's going to do to the UK uh, is it's going to force it into recession. Uh, and of course, there's going to be broader implications for global growth as well. The biggest beneficiaries of globalisation have been emerging markets. Uh, they're most likely to suffer uh, as a result of not only this shift away from globalisation, but if it is followed by uh, other uh, members of the European Union leaving or uh, this increase towards protectionism. So that's our broader concern around what's happening right now. In the immediate term, if we look at what's happening with regards to investment markets, which is what our focus is, on Friday we saw significant declines. The Nasdaq was down 4.1%, S&P 500 down 3.6%. Uh, in terms of some of the moves that we saw, the banks index uh, had its worst one-day fall since August 2011. The brokers index had its worst one-day fall since April of 2009. The Fed fund futures have now moved and don't see any rate hike on the horizon anytime soon. Prior to the vote, the chances of a hike in December 2016 was 50.1%. As at Friday's close, it was down to 14. Uh, or, uh, uh, prior to Friday's close, it was down at 14%. Uh, 
and now the rate height expectations have been pushed all the way out to February 2017, where they're still at 15%. So rate hikes from the Fed have been pushed off the table from the market. Clearly on Friday we saw significant volumes across the board. Uh, if we look at just volumes for uh, across the US market, 123% uh, above the 20-day average. It was the second highest volume day over the last six years. The last was in August 2011, which was in the European banking crisis. So uh, clearly we're seeing some fairly significant moves there. In the UK market specifically, uh, th there's a slightly defensive tone uh, that the FTSE 100 has, which is why uh, it only ended down 3.2% on Friday. But we did see other sectors hit significantly, UK home builders falling by 31.1%. So some fairly significant moves on Friday and prior to the market open this morning, uh, we've, we've we can see that Ireland is down over 7%, Sweden and Finland down over 6%, US 10-year Treasury yields at 1.45%, near their record low of 1.4%. Uh, across in the UK, we've got 30-year gilts uh, down below 1.9%, 10-year gilts down below 1% at a fresh low. We focused on financial stability. Uh, clearly, we're seeing uh, the UK market hit. Home builders down another 16% this morning, and the banking sector is down significantly as well, with Barclays down 15%, RBS 16, and Lloyd's 9.5%. Financial stability being the key, we did our work on looking at our range of credit indicators on Friday. We did see that clearly European high yield credit widened quite significantly, but actually didn't widen up to the levels that we saw earlier this year. So what's very interesting is right now, as much as we're seeing a lot of turmoil in equity markets, as much as we're seeing a lot of turmoil written about in the press, as much as we're seeing a lot of turmoil in the UK political system, from a financial stability perspective, as at Friday's close, we still hadn't seen significant widening of credit spreads to the point where we saw uh, we, we thought we would see them. We have clearly seen a major shift out of European banking stocks, and that's gone. That money has gone largely into US Treasuries. Uh, U.S. Treasury is rising, uh, rallying significantly, as I mentioned, 10-year Treasury at 1.45% near the record low. But credit spreads are not widening, widening significantly yet. In fact, if we look at U.S. American high-yield credit, uh, we, we, see, we, we saw that credit spreads widened, obviously, on Friday, but didn't even reach the levels that we'd seen a couple of months ago and nowhere near the levels that we saw in the market turmoil of January this year. So right now, now financial stability is being maintained but it is something we're watching very, very closely. Uh, Deltex investment team is looking at it intraday. We're looking at it at the end of each day and circulating it to our Deltex representatives. If you do have any questions or want to be kept abreast of things uh, on a daily or intraday basis, please feel free to come through to your Deltex representative or through to myself or the investment team directly. So that's where we are in terms of some of the market data and some of the market moves, and I'll be happy to take more Q&A at the end of the call. If we look at some of the broader moves over the last week, obviously Friday's move uh, really uh, was overshadowed in part in some of the indices by some of the strong run-ups earlier in the week. So as much as we saw the Emerging Market Index down by approximately 6% on Friday, in equities last week, emerging markets still outperformed developed markets. If we look at fixed income markets, again, while we saw high yield uh, really get hit on Friday, um, we, we saw sovereigns uh, only outperforming high yields slightly uh, in, uh, in fixed income markets over the week. So clearly uh, we are going to see that defensive tone uh, increase further and we are expecting sovereigns and investment grades to rally further, which is of course where our Delta preferences are right now. 
The big moves were happening in currency markets. Uh, the, the sterling uh, down at approximately 131 versus the US dollar as at latest print this morning. US dollar index was up by 1.3% over the past week, uh, heightened obviously on Friday. Emerging market currencies hit negatively, uh, fairly significantly uh, negatively, and uh, in developed markets obviously the sterling and the euro hit quite significantly as well, but as well as that the Australian dollar falling. Across commodity markets, finally, to finish off on, on investment market movements over the past week, in commodity markets, uh, we did see some reasonably significant moves as well. What was interesting is that we did actually see uh, commodity prices rally uh, last night in Asian trading, uh, but also they did outperform slightly uh, late last week. Some of the reasons behind that were people viewing that China would inject significant more stimulus. We think that notion is unfounded. We've seen China introduce a huge amount of fiscal stimulus earlier this year. That fiscal stimulus is still working its way through the system. We maintain our negative view on commodities for a few reasons. Number one, we're expecting the US dollar index to strengthen further. Uh, that's been our long-held call for some time. A stronger US dollar and reduced US dollar liquidity, even in a relative sense, is negative for commodity prices. The second reason is that we are starting to see some of that instability in China. We saw the uh, Chinese yuan be devalued by the most. It's been uh, it's down to the levels not seen since uh, August 2015. Uh, that devaluation occurred last night, got hidden in some of the news flow we saw around Brexit, uh, which is also a negative for commodity prices. As well as that, the general risk off tone in markets is what's dragging a lot of assets down, uh, and that's why uh, we are expecting commodity prices to remain under pressure as much as we saw that rally late last week. Looking into some of the economic data over the past week beyond Brexit, in the US we saw data below consensus expectations. Some of the housing data was slightly weaker in terms of new home sales and existing home sales. The manufacturing data was slightly stronger though. Of course, the PMI manufacturing indicators are the single best leading indicators into the global economic cycle. The market manufacturing PMI in June was at 51.4 above expectations. Some of the regional PMIs, including the Kansas City Fed Manufacturing Index, was above expectations in the prime month as well. So there are still some bright spots in the US data. In Europe, obviously a lot of the, the outlook will change as a result of the vote uh, last week, but we did see the data points were firmly above expectations in terms of manufacturing data and the all-important ZEW survey in Europe last week, so data was above expectations. In Japan, we saw data uh, above expectations as well in terms of manufacturing activity, and in China, we saw property prices uh, stabilise further. So generally on the data front last week, we did actually see some improvement in data. Obviously, it remains to be seen what the shock will be as a result of the Brexit vote and any spill through into financial stability. Turning our attention now into what's happening this week uh, beyond some of the market movements and some of the Fed uh, or some of the, the policymaker comments that we're expecting to see. In the US, a very important data week. We have the all-important ISM manufacturing data point for June. Uh, markets looking for 51.4. We've got the services PMI as well, and we've got some important uh, details around consumption as well. In Europe, we have confidence data uh, across the board. Whether that will be impacted by the Brexit vote remains to be seen. Obviously, the survey is taken quite late, but that will be key to us. In Japan, we have the Tankin survey, which will be important to the outlook for Japan. Japan's an economy that continues to struggle. We didn't see any stimulus from the Bank of Japan in the month of June because they didn't want to ease further, only to have the Brexit vote lead to a rally in the yen anyway. 
that was a good move by the Bank of Japan, uh, admittedly, because we have actually seen that uh, they didn't move. And of course, you saw the yen rally quite significantly late last week as a safety trade. So it'll be interesting to see what the outlook is from the Tankin survey in Japan over this week. And in China, we have manufacturing PMI out as well. So it's actually a very important week for the global economic cycle beyond what's happening with Brexit. The reason being that these manufacturing PMI data points provide the best leading indicator into global economic growth, and we're seeing PMI readings coming out from the US, Europe, Japan via the Tankin survey, and from China. So an incredibly important week from the, from the data perspective. How that, how that data is going to impact our positioning, I'll move to uh, at the end of the call. In terms of uh, looking at our, our investment ideas for this week, we've published a research redux piece entitled The Big Long. This, is, this note is really looking at the reasons why we're bullish on the US dollar, not only from a cyclical perspective, but also from a secular perspective. It's quite a detailed note, which we encourage everyone to read. But what we're seeing at the moment is that US dollar liquidity growth, even if we see the Fed hold off for significantly longer, we are going to see US dollar liquidity growth from a relative perspective slow. That slowing in US dollar liquidity growth is one of the, uh, one of the mechanisms by which we see the US dollar strengthen. The other is by the US trade balance. That is, as we see the US trade deficit start to shrink, the U.S. is importing fewer goods from offshore, which means they're exporting fewer U.S. dollars to the rest of the world. That reduction in U.S. dollars to the rest of the world as well uh, slows the supply of U.S. dollars. And as with anything, if the supply of it slows, the price of it moves up. The third area where we are going to see U.S. dollar liquidity growth is financial intermediation. Now, even ex of what's happening in Brexit, which can cause a tightening of financial conditions, financial intermediation, that is just the money multiplier that gets put through the banking system and the shadow banking system has slowed significantly since the financial crisis. That leads to fewer US dollars in circulation around the world. So we are seeing those three reasons why US dollar liquidity growth will slow. Monetary policy, the trade deficit, and reduced financial intermediation. How does that manifest? Well, it manifests itself in a few ways. The first is that we start to see interest rates move up. The second is that we start to see dislocations in certain markets, such as in the cross-currency basis swap markets, where it becomes more expensive for banks to access US dollars. The third way is that we see, we see it manifest itself in currency markets. That is, slowing US dollar liquidity growth leads to an increase in the price of the US dollar, just because there's simply fewer US dollars around. So there's three reasons we can see why US dollar liquidity growth is going to slow, and we, we can see that it's going to manifest across a few markets, rates markets, cross-currency swaps, and as well as that, a stronger US dollar. Quite clearly, that leads us into a bullish view on the US dollar from a cyclical perspective, but also from a secular perspective. As such, from an investment implication perspective, we have a preference for the US dollar over all major currencies. Our least preferred currencies are commodity currencies, including the Australian dollar, Canadian dollar, and emerging market FX. Now, how does Brexit change all of this? Well, the UK sterling's uh, status as a safe haven currency is quite clearly diminished by the political uncertainty that has now engulfed the country and the economy. Now, as a result of that, other safe havens are sought. That includes the Japanese yen, where we've already seen a rally but also the US dollar, where clearly we saw a 1.3% rally last week. We saw a significant rally on Friday, and we're expecting the US dollar index to rally further. The stronger US dollar also has negative implications for high yield credit. It also has negative implications for commodity prices. 
So clearly we are going to see a stronger US dollar in the period ahead for cyclical and secular reasons, but also because of its improved status as a safe haven currency. Finally, touching on our current investment positioning. So as a result of what we've seen out of Brexit, our investment views don't really change that much. Of course, the key from here is whether financial stability is maintained. But if we look at some of our key overweight and underweight positions, are they really changed by what happens out of UK economic growth? Our largest overweight calls are towards the US economy. Will the US consumer be negatively impacted by the UK leaving the European Union? It's unlikely. Would the US potential homeowner be impacted? It's unlikely. Will the US corporate who's looking to increase their technology spending uh, be impacted? It will slightly because investment plans across Europe have gone on hold, but investment plans within the US certainly have not gone on hold as yet. As such, our bullish view towards the tech sector is maintained as well. So our three key overweight positions towards US consumption, US housing and US technology are maintained. We do have exposure towards Europe as one of our key overweight calls, but that's on a US dollar currency hedge basis. So it will be slightly less impacted because of the falling euro versus the US dollar, of which we're not exposed to. The key from here, as we said, is financial stability. And we're watching that intraday and daily, and that could really change the whole game. Because if we do see financial stability impacted, if we do see credit spreads blow out, and we don't see policymakers act to restore financial stability, clearly we're going to see an impact on borrowing rates across the world, which will impact our calls on housing, on consumption, and on technology. So right now, our current investment positioning from a core portfolio perspective, which is looking at our longer-term call, is a maintenance for our preference for equities over cash and liquids, fixed income, and real assets. The global economic expansion is expected to continue. We're still mid-cycle, and that continuation will lead us towards equities. For tactical portfolios and over the short to medium term, we also have a preference for selected equities and cash and liquids over fixed income. Those selected equities positions include those I just mentioned, consumption in the US, housing and technology in the US as well. We see short opportunities in risky assets generally. In fixed income, we're short on the high yield credit side and we're also short across emerging markets in the equity space. Emerging markets being riskier will be more negatively impacted by uh, these risk-off events such as the Brexit outcome. And for opportunistic portfolios such as direct investments, uh, we do continue our call for selected developed market assets only in selected regions and sectors. So I'll leave it there and open it up to any questions. Any questions from the phone line? Yes, uh, Atul, I, I have a couple of questions. Uh, my name is George. On the European banking securities, they've been beat up very badly, as you're well aware of. Do you think this will continue or this is about coming to an end or who knows? Well, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, that's a very good question because that's really the epicenter of, of where we're seeing uh, instability in markets right now. So if we look at some of the European bank stocks, that's Credit Suisse dropped 16% on Friday. Pre-market this morning in US trading, it's down another 10%. Uh, there's, there's clearly been a huge impact here because the concern is twofold. Number one, uh, or really threefold. Number one is there'll be a change to business activities whereas some of these banks may have to move some of their operations out of, Europe, out of the UK back into continental Europe. Uh, so there is a, a slight dislocation impact. But the two other major impacts are, number one, will there be an impact on economic growth? If there's an impact on economic growth, then clearly banks, being the most sensitive uh, sector to economic growth, will be negatively impacted on the credit growth line, which is the revenue line, 
and on the non-performing loan line or the bad debt line, which is the expense line. Right now, we have seen already an impact to UK economic growth with the Home Builders Index down 31%, with the composition of UK bank loan portfolios heavily weighted towards home mortgages. Clearly, they're going to be negatively impacted uh, if we do start to see house prices fall in the UK, which we are expecting given money flow into the UK will slow. So we are going to see an impact because of economic growth. The real key though in the short term, and this I believe goes to the heart of your question, is will we continue to see these fall in the very short term? This really comes down to the policymaker response. We've seen uh, the, the Bank of England come out and already announce uh, some you know, fairly major liquidity programs at 250 billion sterling uh, liquidity injection uh, it, it, to support the UK banking system as well as that the ECB has said they're ready to, to provide additional liquidity if needed in euros and in foreign currencies. Uh, the Swiss National Bank uh, is looking at further intervening in currency markets to maintain stability. So it all comes down to whether these policymakers maintain financial stability. Right now, as I mentioned at the start of the call, we haven't yet seen a significant blowout in credit spreads. If we don't see that blowout and if we see financial stability maintained, yes, we expect European banks to bounce uh, for, for, for the short term. Uh, the extent of that bounce will come back to the second point I made, which is how bad European economic growth will be impacted. Uh, so the, the short answer is, uh, look, we need to wait and see and watch financial stability indicators. Uh, in terms of buying opportunities, we are not seeing any yet across the European banking space just because we still see these three key issues of the dislocation of their businesses, the impact on economic growth, and the uncertainty of financial stability. Thank you. Uh, that was the a second very long answer. It's a very good answer, obviously, because it's extremely complicated. The second question I would have would be in reference back to the U.S., if you will. The U.S. has tremendous debt, as you're well aware of. The auto loans are now at an all-time high. Uh, School loans have a ridiculous amount of debt. There's a lot of debt in the banks. Is this going to affect the banking in the U.S.? Uh, the, the, debt, the debt situation in the U.S.? Look, we can't see uh, the debt situation in the U.S. Uh, impacting to a huge degree right now. And it's important we break down the types of debt there are. Firstly, there's government debt. Secondly, there's private sector debt. If we look at government debt, uh, or, or, uh, across debt in general, there's only two reasons we have a problem with it. One is if you can't service it, and is the second is if you can't get any more of it. So let's look at government debt. Well, with U.S. Treasury yields currently at 1.45%, close to their all-time low of 1.4%. Clearly, there's no problem with the U.S. government being able to access debt markets, given people are willing to offer the U.S. money at such, such very low rates, as well as that U.S. economic growth is strong enough that the government is generating enough tax receipts that they can actually go and service this, this government debt. So government debt in the US simply isn't a problem right now. In terms of private sector debt, we've actually seen the private sector deleverage quite significantly. Uh, so if we look at, at private sector, the private sector savings rates, it's back to levels that we, we've seen uh, even pre-financial crisis, uh, back to 2005 levels. Uh, and that's even if we include auto loans and student loans. As well as that, we note that as much as it's not good for people to be over-indebted, it's a much better situation if they're indebted with auto loans and student loans that have lower balances than if they've got housing loans and mortgage loans and multiple mortgage loans as we saw in the financial or pre-financial crisis. So the composition, well, the, the, the US private sector savings rate, we believe, is, is healthy enough uh, right now to, uh, to be able to, in aggregate, uh, support that level of debt. 
there are fringes of the economy that carry too much debt, as there always are. And in terms of the type of debt or the composition of debt on the private sector, we're quite comfortable with it as well because it's not heavily exposed to mortgages, um, which is where banks carry most of their loan book and, and that's where the real worry is for banks. And it's not heavily exposed to corporates either, uh, which is the other area where we worry about the banking system. Uh, corporates, of course, are, are flush with cash right now. So government debt, we're fine with private sector debt. The ag in aggregate, the, the magnitude of it isn't huge and the composition of it is, uh, is quite sound as well. Thank you, Atul. Any other questions from the phone line? Question is, if you don't mind, um, uh, the market uh, has overreacted, obviously, in, across the board, facing the, uh, the political instability. And uh, we know of this political instability because, obviously, nothing has happened after Brexit. It's only the announce of the political instability. Nothing has happened, nothing is going to happen for months and months if it's not years. Uh, so we have seen the market overreacting across the board. And the question for everyone investing, obviously, is the point of re-entry. Uh, some people have been out, some people have accumulated cash, uh, some people may consider there is a point of re-entry. Uh, because this political instability is likely to last for a certain point, when do you believe there will be a point of re-entry? That's a really great question because that's really where our primary focus is on Friday morning at 2.30 in the morning US Eastern time when, when uh, you know, some of us woke up to see these results. The question is where are the opportunities and where are the risks? This political instability does create an opportunity for a few reasons. Number one, to your point, it's going to take months if not years to solve this, this situation. It took uh, Switzerland approximately uh, over 10 years to negotiate trade agreements with the EU. It took Canada seven years to negotiate trade agreements with the EU. It's going to take the UK likely more than two years, which is what they have. So it's going to take a long time. We see opportunities uh, already at the moment in markets in some key areas which aren't impacted by this. Number one, U.S. consumption. Uh, the U.S. consumer, as we said, won't be as impacted. Number two is in the U.S. housing sector, where we still see significant opportunities. And actually, as a result of this instability we've seen, we've seen mortgage rates drop even lower. So it's even more affordable for a U.S. potential homeowner to go and buy a house right now. The third area is the U.S. technology sector, where we see opportunities already. Uh, as well as that, we see opportunities for... So there's three... Uh, quite sector-specific calls that we see. As well as that, we see broad opportunities for investors who are looking to enter the market but are looking for some level of income. We published a note uh, a few weeks ago entitled Yield of Dreams, which looked at dividend-yielding equities. Now, right now, we can see that equities clearly offer uh, more advantages than fixed income from a longer-term perspective, given our view of where we are in the economic uh, expansion cycle, which is still mid-cycle. So we do have a preference for equities, as well as that yielding equities uh, we see opportunities in, simply because fixed income markets and sovereign debt markets uh, have, have really rallied so significantly, where you can sit there and get a 1.45% on a US 10-year treasury, or you can go and buy a high-quality US company with a 2.5-3% plus dividend yield, uh, which is going to not only pay that dividend yield, but also grow that dividend uh, over time. So we do see broad-based opportunities in yielding equities in the US, and we refer everyone to our Yield of Dreams note, which we published uh, two weeks ago, which is available uh, for myself or your Deltec representative. As well as that, uh, we do see opportunities in some of those specific sectors right now. 
Any other questions from the phone line? Okay, if there's no further questions, uh, thank you everyone for your time. If you do have queries today, obviously uh, it's, uh, it's a uh, very complicated market situation right now. Please feel free to contact either your Deltec representative or myself if you do have any follow-up queries and we'll be keeping everyone abreast of those financial stability indicators uh, that we're watching over the coming days and weeks. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you.